First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 is the word of God for us this morning. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Lord, as we sang before the message today, uh, that is a great prayer for us. Show us Christ. And in our text today, it's so different in how we have to see that, Lord, as we see Christ in the body of Christ, in the way that you've designed the church to be. But I pray, Lord, that we will see Christ. And I pray that we will hear your word. And I pray that we will submit to your word. And I pray that you will be glorified in all of our lives as you do what only you can do to build your church for your glory. And we pray it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to Christians in Asia Minor. People he calls in chapter 1, elect exiles. People chosen by God for salvation, but who will be singled out by the world for rejection and persecution. People like us. And Peter repeatedly reminds us of the glories of the gospel, the hope we have in the return of Christ, and the call on our lives to honor the Lord in a hard world. He tells us, don't live like the world around you. But set your full hope, not on being accepted in this life, but on the glory of the return of Jesus and the kingdom to come. Peter reminds us repeatedly that Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the promises of God from the Old Testament. And he calls us to live well in the world, being faithful in our relationship to government, in household affairs, and in marriage. He tells us to be ready to answer the questions of a confused world because they're not going to have any idea how we can live with hope, a hope that they don't have. And Peter reminds us that Jesus is victorious. He was victorious even as he suffered for our salvation. And our suffering in this life is to be expected because it mirrors what Christ did. Well, recently we've seen a discussion the discussion of 1 Peter moved to life in the church. Back in chapter 2, Peter called the church living stones being built together to be a temple of God. And Peter doubles down on the call to Christian unity in chapter 4. We're supposed to love one another. We are to treat each other well. We are to serve in the church using the spiritual gifts that God has given us for the good of the body of Christ. 
And Peter makes it absolutely clear, friends, if you look at the end of chapter 4, if you look at what we studied the last few weeks, there is no way for you to live a faithful Christian life if you pull yourself away from the local church. We need one another to make it through the sufferings and the hardships that we face as Christians, and we cannot obey the commands that God gives us in how to live if we try to live as individuals who are apart from a local church. You cannot do it. Well, last week, we saw that hard times are coming. That was kind of how the chapter 4 ended. And we're supposed to let it call us to faithfulness, even as we entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So what comes next? Peter's going to start wrapping up the entire discussion of this book. But life in the church is going to continue to be, to be the focus. We live with a glorious gospel, don't we? We expect the return of the Savior, don't we? Our hope is in eternity. But right now, living in a hard world, we need each other. And we are called by God to glorify God as a body, as a unit, as a family, as a, a flock, as a temple. And that's what we're going to see today as Peter addresses comments to elders and church members. So if you're a note taker, we'll find four main points in this passage for today. Point number two is extra long, the rest are smaller, just so you know if you space that out. And let's get started as this and Lord willing next week, these are our final messages in the book of 1 Peter. Point number one. Keep present suffering and future glory in mind. Point number one is keep present suffering and future glory in mind. Verse one reads, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse one starts with the word, so, by the way, one of the easiest words when we're reading, to ignore. But so tells us Peter is drawing a conclusion here. Because of all that he said in this letter about the gospel, about our suffering, about eternity, about living in the world, about Christ, about his victory, because of all that, he's now going to tell us something very important. Peter is about to give a word of encouragement, of, of commanding counsel to church elders. And he's going to follow it, just so you know, with a word for church members too. And before we talk about elders and before we talk about the encouragement even that Peter has to give here, I want you to notice how he couches the counsel that's coming. Peter says three things about himself in verse 1, and they're three things that blend together to bring out the theme of the entire book of 1 Peter. He talks about the church, he talks about suffering, and he talks about the glory to come. Peter calls himself a fellow elder. Now, without unpacking that term here, we'll do it next point. Peter is telling us he's one of the men who guides the church, but he says he's just like the men to whom he's writing. I, I, I read this morning, actually, John Calvin talking about this, and he said, you know, 
If Peter had thought himself to be established as the first Roman pope and the actual head of the church, he would have never talked like this. But Peter puts himself on an equal level with other elders in the body. Peter could have pulled rank here at the end of the book. I mean, even in verse 1 of chapter 1, he calls himself an apostle. But right here, Peter lets the church know, you know what, guys? I'm one of you. And I'm writing to you. And I'm doing what I'm telling you to do. I'm living what I'm commanding. I am an elder in the body of Christ, loving Christians, supporting Christians, serving Jesus. But I'm just like one of you because we're in this together. And then Peter calls himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ, which of course does remind us that Peter's an apostle. He walked with Jesus and he saw the earthly ministry of Jesus. But even more so, Peter's bringing back to your mind and to mine the theme of suffering that has flowed through the book of 1 Peter. Jesus suffered. Peter saw it with his own two eyes. And you and I must not think that we will be spared hardships in this life. If they hated Jesus, they're going to have a hard time with us the more we look like Jesus. And the church will suffer. We will face persecutions. The Christians in Asia Minor are going to face it. In the modern world, the church will face it. And Peter wants us to know, I've seen it. I'm walking through it with you. I get it. Now, here's the question for you. Is Peter distraught at the concept of hardships to come? No. What's the third thing he tells us about who he is? Because it's so beautiful. He calls himself, along with us, a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And what's Peter pointing to there? Where's Peter taking the mind of the Christian there? He's not just telling us we're a church, and he's not just telling us we're going to suffer, but he's pointing us to the glory that will be ours when Christ returns. And how can that be so comforting to Peter? Maybe just think about these words that Peter heard the Lord Jesus say. In John 14, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus said, John wrote it down, but Peter heard it. Jesus said, I am going away to prepare a place for those who are mine. And he did that in one sense by going to the cross to purchase our salvation. But you know what? Christ is still preparing for us the eternal weight of glory that is to come when he returns to this earth. When Jesus comes back, he's going to make all things new. When Jesus comes back, he's going to set right whatever is left that's wrong with the world. When Jesus comes back, he's going to bring the justice of God. When Jesus comes back, he's going to raise the dead to life. When Jesus comes back, he will give us new bodies that can never be harmed again. When Jesus comes back, 
The glory of God will fill the earth. And Peter wants us to know that this glory is something we will partake in. So as we open this message, this passage, keep present suffering and future glory in mind. If you're a Christian, you got to be connected to the church. Peter shows us the need for the church connection here. If you're a Christian, you've got to know you're going to face hardships in this life. And some of the hardships you face are going to specifically be because you're a believer. And if you're a Christian, all of the hurt that you may ever face is worth it because of the glory that is to come. And this has to be first in your mind or you miss the point of this book that God has inspired Peter to write and for us to read. So, yeah, keep present suffering and future glory in mind. Second point now. Elders, comma, serve in a godly way for eternal reward. Elders, serve in a godly way for eternal reward. Look at just the beginning of verse 2. Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So now we see what Peter says to the elders, the exhortation he promised us in verse 1. And Peter tells church elders in this section from 2 to 4 what to do, what not to do, and what reward to expect. But I've got to say to you at this point, it feels really weird for me to talk to you at this point about what God commands elders to do. It's sort of like I need to spend a few minutes talking to myself with you listening in. But I do think that there is great value in you and me understanding how God has shaped the church and what elders are and what elders are supposed to do. And this should lead to some ways that you can pray and think well as Christians, okay? So let's see what we need to know here. First, what are elders? In verse 1, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. And he calls himself a fellow elder. So what is he talking about? Now, How many of you grew up in Reformed church circles or Presbyterian-type churches? Don't raise your hands at me. I can't see you. (laughs) How many of you did? A couple of you. How many of you didn't grow up in a Reformed church background? Yeah. Most of us didn't, right? When I grew up in Illinois in a Southern Baptist church, I had never heard the term elders used as a group of men in the church who were serving as leaders. We didn't, we didn't have that office, even, in the way the church was, was, was shaped. Uh, it, it was new to me. It wasn't until I went to college or until I was in seminary that I really began to understand this, this office. So if you grew up Presbyterian or Reformed, you may get this easily. If you didn't, it may feel new. The Bible speaks of two offices or roles in the church. One of them we can call elders. You know what the other office in the church is, that what we can call it? Deacons, right? You have elders or deacons. Those are the offices or the roles in the church that we have here. The deacons are tasked 
with service, acts of service in the church, so that they can free the elders to do what God calls the elders to do. Now, interestingly, you can find three Greek terms for the role that we call elder. You can find three Greek words for that. And those three Greek words are actually going to be come out in the Bible in about five different labels in English. But they're all one office in the church because there's deacon and then there's this other group, elder, whatever else we might call it, okay? The Greek word for elder is the word presbyteros, and it means elder. And if I ask you what the word elder means, what's the first thing you think of when you hear elder? Older, right? And, and that's the idea. The assumption, even in the first century culture, was as a man ages, he will gain wisdom and he will become a leader in the community. In the Old Testament, we see men, elders, sitting in the city gates and they lead their people and they give judgments as cases are brought before them. Job, in the book of Job, talks about being an elder and being respected by his, his other elders in his town before the calamities came upon him. In the New Testament era, we know that the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues were led, they were governed by older men, part of the community, supposedly wise character, uh, wise men of godly character, right? They were the elders. So if you hear the word elder for this role, not deacon, but the other role, what you have to think of is the wisdom that comes with age and experience. Now, I do not think that men who serve as church elders are required to meet a certain age point, physical age point. But the Word of God is clear that a recent convert to the faith should not serve in that role. Experience as a Christian and the wisdom that comes with that experience, that's what we're looking at when we talk about elders. Now there's a second Greek word for the church office that we just called elders, and it's the word episkopos. And in English, you could translate that with the word bishop or the word overseer. Some lexicons like to use the, the concept of superintendent to explain what is meant by this word. It's a word that, that talks about someone in authority who provides oversight, who provides leadership um, in the church. And the, the final Greek word that we'll use here is the word poimen. And it can be translated shepherd or pastor. The word pastor Shepherd, that's poimen. It's, it's the third word for this same office. Now, when you think about this role, think about what you already know from Bible studies and Bible lessons and cutesy devotionals about what a shepherd is supposed to do. What do shepherds do? They take care of sheep, right? How do they take care of sheep? They feed the sheep. They protect the sheep from dangers. They, they redirect sheep when sheep are wandering off the path. That's what pastors are supposed to do too. Now remember, please, I told you all of these words, the three Greek words, the five English words, are speaking of one office, one role in the church. They all describe one kind of man. Elders, bishops, overseers, shepherds, pastors, same people.
Those terms highlight different aspects, for sure, of the character and the responsibilities of those men. But a pastor is an elder, is an overseer. Why would I say that? Well, in this passage, who's Peter say that he's speaking to in verse 1? I, who's, who's he writing to in verse 1? The elders. And what does he tell them to do? What's the verb in verse 2? Shepherd, pastor, the flock of God. How? Exercising what? Oversight. There's all three of those Greek words, those Greek concepts used interchangeably for this one role. The same sort of thing happens in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Paul says, I'm sending for the elders. In verse 28, he says to the elders, they are overseers of a flock. And flock obviously brings up shepherding ideas. So here's what we know. Elders are what we call pastors. Elders are what we call overseers. That's important, guys, because you as a member of the church should not think, for example, that I am a pastor, but Jason and Harold are elders. We are all elders. And get this, this will freak Harold out. We're all, we're all pastors, you could call Harold Pastor Harold, and you would be right. You could call Jason Bishop Jason, I guess. <laughs> That's not in my notes, Jason. I just want you to know that right now. But, but overseer is what we are. It's the same thing. We have the job. All three of us united together have the job of caring for and feeding and leading and overseeing the church with the word of God. Uh, We've got the the, the job to, to exercise biblical authority. We've got the job of hopefully leading with wisdom and experience as elders. We're supposed to be shepherds who oversee as elders. That's what we do. Now, one more thing to be aware of When the Bible speaks of churches, because this I did not know growing up, it always speaks of elders, plural. Which means that every individual church should, if it's at all possible, have more than one elder doing the work. In Acts 14, verse 23, it simply says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, Multiple elders, every individual church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It is not good for a church to have only one man who bears the load or wields the authority. Moses, in our reading from the Old Testament this morning, had to learn from his father-in-law, it is not good, Moses, for you to try to lead this nation all by yourself. We need a group of godly men to oversee and care for the nation. And friends, we need a group of godly men to care for and oversee the church. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you look at Titus chapter 1, you can see that elders are to be men of godly character. They are men who are supposed to be able to teach the word of God to the people of God. Now, will any of us be perfect? You've seen us, right? We're not. But we are to be clearly and obviously Christian. We are to be obedient to the Word of God, and we need to know the Word of God in such a way that we can communicate the Word of God and its truth to other people in the church. That's our job. Now, real quick, why do I keep saying men? 
because the Bible is clear that the office of elder in the church is limited to men only. This is not at all because men have more value or greater giftedness than women. But God, for God's purposes, in a beautiful way, has designed men and women to play different roles in the church and in the family. Paul's clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, that women are not to play a role where they teach or exercise authority over the men of the church. And since teaching and leading is exactly what elders do, it's clear that women are not allowed that office in the church. Now, women have wonderful roles to play in the church and in the ministry. Churches would not survive without godly women. Men, would you agree with that? We wouldn't do well without godly women in the church? All right. Submitting, though, to the design that God has given us, that's the way that we as a church say to the Lord and to the world, we're obeying God, we're following God, we're following His Word, and we're going to let God tell us how He wants the church to be shaped. Just as God is glorified when husbands and wives play different roles in their houses, God is glorified when men and women honor Him by fulfilling different, different roles in the church. And guys, this is not a burden. This is a glory. So, what are elders? Elders are to be a group of men of godly character who lead in the local church. They will shepherd the church by feeding the people with the word of God. They will protect the church by warning you of dangers and even calling people just like you to turn from going down wrong paths. Elders have a biblical authority to lead in the church. But I would also say that elders are subject to the word of God, of course, and we're not supposed to put ourselves above the church as a whole, which is why we have elders at PRC, but the congregation still votes at meetings to affirm who's going to be an elder, to affirm the elders in their leadership, to affirm important recommendations that the elders give, because as a unit, the congregation gives the amen to the leadership of the elders. And we could talk a whole lot more about elders and church government, church polity, but I'll tell you, actually, even though I just did that long spiel, that's not the point of this passage. Can't you see here that Peter pretty much assumes that you already know what the elders are? He, he thinks you know what elders are, and he thinks you know basically what they're supposed to do, which is why he can remind us so briefly of what they're supposed to do, and then what the reward is going to be. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 again. He says to elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So Peter here encourages the elders to eld, right? Do your job, right? Like I tell the deacons to deek, elders need to eld. What do you do? Shepherd the flock of God. He will oversee the flock of God. Now, it's interesting here, a couple things. One, the Greek word for flock here is a diminutive of the word flock. It's an affectionate term. You're supposed to care for your little flock. 
Or, you know, we think diminutive, like think when we put like the letters I-E at the end of an English word, right? Or a Y at the end, like it's a puppy instead of a dog, you know? It's the flocky. It's, <laughs> I, I, again, it's just, that's, that's the way this is done here. We're supposed to shepherd and care for our little flock. Now look at the scriptures and look at this really closely. This is important. Who, which flock are the elders supposed to shepherd? Shepherd the flock of God, what? The one among you, right? The one you're in. Shepherd your little flock. An elder is not an elder over every Christian they come in contact with. Can you imagine if it was my job to eld everybody in Vegas? <laughs> elders, we are elders of the flock that we are in, which is, side note, an indication of why Christians, church membership, is a vital thing. If I am to shepherd the flock of God among me, I have to know who's in the flock. And just because you walk your little behind into this room does not make me know you're in the flock. I have to know that you're in the flock by you telling me, by you telling the elders, I want to be part of the flock. That's why church membership matters so much. I can't shepherd everybody. I can only shepherd the ones I know I'm supposed to shepherd. Does that make sense? Okay. Elders are to exercise oversight how? Look at your Bibles. Exercise oversight willingly. You know, one of the, in, in 1 Timothy 3.1, the first qualification for an overseer or an elder is that he wants to do that job. He desires the task. Being an elder is not something that you should have to be coerced into doing. We are to be eager. We, so, so Jason, are you still over there, by the way, brother? And Harold, are you still here too? I got to talk to you guys. <laughs> Don't worry, nobody's listening. It's our job, friends, to elder willingly. We are to want the role, this crazy, stressful, terrifying, honoring role that the Lord's given us. Love this flock and love the role that the Lord's given us. And so it should not require any of the three of us compulsion to do it. And guys, I can tell you this. I love what I do. I think these guys love what they do. It doesn't mean they love every moment of it, by the way. But I do love what we get to do. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're good at it, by the way. And I would not pretend to you for a moment that I don't get hurt or frustrated or discouraged. Because that stuff happens more often than you might ever guess. But I can tell you this. I love serving as an elder, as a pastor here. I love bringing the Word of God to you on a regular basis being here for you, and what, I don't lead under compulsion. Just yesterday, the elders and I sat down and we just talked about how many blessings and joys we've seen. And we went on for a long time about the glorious things we've watched the Lord do in this body. And it's good. But we are to, we are to elder willingly. Peter also tells the elders, don't seek shameful gain. That's not Peter telling elders, telling us don't pay elders. That's not what he's saying. 
1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 indicates that those whose labor is preaching and teaching should receive double honor. That's probably an issue of financial support. But what Peter is after here is warning elders never to try to use their influence or their position for dishonest gain. And I think you all know what that looks like, right? The prosperity preachers on TBN, the wicked men that claim that Jesus wants them to have a private jet at the expense of a little old lady's retirement money, those people are after shameful gain, and that's evil. No elder should try to use the ministry as a get-rich-quick scheme. That's not what this is about. And no elder should ever steal from the church, which sadly, I know some have done. And elders are also not to domineer over people in the body. There are people who call themselves pastors, but who are known for being bullies. You ever met one? I know some. I could name them. And they should not be in leadership in their churches if they are bullying, domineering people. Some of them are fit throwers. You guys know any fit throwers? You'd think we would grow out of that, but some don't. Some shout at people. Some threaten people. Some just use the force of their personality to always get their way. Listen to me. Godly elders don't do that. Okay? They don't. So instead of being full of greed, instead of being pushy in personality, elders are to lead how? By setting an example for the flock. Be careful of somebody who says, oh, I want to be an elder, but when you look at their life, you don't see something you want to imitate. Elders are supposed to demonstrate the character they call the congregation to develop. And I've got to say that that last bit right there is utterly intimidating for any of us who serve as elders. Guys, we're flawed. We really are. And this passage is not saying to you that flawed people cannot ever be elders. But part of being an example to the flock is being willing to admit our mistakes and to repent of our sin and move on. 1 Peter 5 verse 4 then says to us, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here we go again, just, just as we saw earlier, all the way through this book. What does Peter keep pointing us to time and time and time again? Jesus is coming back. Who do you think the chief shepherd is? And, and Peter says, look, when he comes back, when Jesus comes back, and Harold and Jason, enjoy this one. There is reward glorious, godly reward for men who have poured out their lives to shepherd the flock of God. Being elder, an elder is hard. Being an elder, elder is painful. It often costs us free time, sleep, money. I would hate to guess how much mental stability. <laughs> but the Lord is clear that there is a reward that makes it all worth it in the end. There is an unfading crown, a, a victory wreath that'll never wilt like earthly flowers awaiting those who give their lives for the church. Now, how should most of you guys respond to this stuff? Because like I said, it's kind of like me letting you in on talking to myself, right? 
I would hope that this would lead you to pray for your elders. Does this make you want to pray for us, I hope? Because goodness, we need it. And I would hope that you would begin praying that the Lord would raise up more elders in this church. PRC needs more than Harold, Jason, and me to serve in this capacity. Right, guys? Yeah. (laughs) We need godly men. We need men worth following. We need men of character and gentleness and decency and love. We need men who are willing to sacrifice for the good of the body. We need that. So please, oh please, pray for us and pray that God will raise up more elders besides us. And then point three is one more thing you can do. Point three, members, be subject to your elders. Members, comma, be subject to your elders. The beginning of verse 5 says, look at this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Do you see where I got that point? So Peter turns his attention now to the church member. I don't think he's here only talking about physically young people, people of a young age. He was talking to elders from verse 1 all the way to here from the standpoint of the leadership position of elder in the church. So now Peter is speaking simply to the rest of the body, those who are not the elders. So that means that many of you right now can feel really happy that God calls you, whatever your age, you who are younger. That's good news, right? Some of you feel good about that. Some of us don't feel like we're those who are younger anymore. The command is what? Be subject to the elders. And this is very similar language to the the other authority submission passages we've we've seen in this book. From chapter 2, verse 12 to chapter 3, verse 7, we see multiple authority submission relationships. Very similar thing. Elders are to shepherd. They are to oversee the flock. Listen, that tells you, if God tells me, Jason, Harold, elder, oversee, shepherd the flock, That means you as a church member have to be willing to be led. You have to be willing to be shepherded. You have to be willing to submit to being overseen. That is logical and it's the straightforward command of God. Hebrews 13, 17 says to us, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It says, it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's the Bible telling you not to make my life miserable. <laughs> now, guys, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it with a grin, but it is very difficult to point to a text like this to you from my position without feeling like I'm going to come off self-serving or selfish. Please don't let that come that way because I'm really not trying to be that way. Would you just look at the text there and prayerfully follow the text there? The Bible says obey your leaders. So when we give you biblical counsel, follow it. Is that fair? 
Whenever you're making a decision and the elders look at you and say, that is a dangerous, unwise, ungodly decision. And here's the scripture to show you why what you're choosing to do is ungodly. Don't do it anyway. Doesn't that sound super logical? You want to guess how many times I've sat in a living room in a car at a coffee shop and told somebody godly counsel and known that the next day they got up and did the exact opposite anyway? Don't be that people. When your leaders ask you to do reasonable things, follow along. Does this give elders blanket permission to domineer over you? No. We already saw that, right? But there are going to be times and ways that the elders of the church are going to ask you for help. There's going to be times when the elders may call on you, hey, I need you to come sit down and talk with me for a minute. There may be times when the elders tell you as the church, we believe this is the direction for the church. This is the right way for the church to go. And in most instances, in most instances, so long as we haven't lost our minds and violate the word of God, you need to come along. And as the author of the book of Hebrews reminds you, this is to your good. This is for the good of your soul. Fourth point, last point. All, all of us, Clothe yourself with humility. Verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just so you guys know, this part of verse 5 is actually next week's message. This is the beginning of next week's sermon. So we're going to unpack it and its meaning next week, not today. But we need these words to ring in our ears as we think about life in the church. Because, guys, the only way that the concept of elders and church members actually works, the only way for you and me to live together in the body of Christ is when you and I all adorn ourselves with humility. No matter what you would naturally wear, humility should be like the apron that you tie on over everything else. To be humble is for, is for you not to think of yourself first or too highly. To be humble, that's how an elder leads without bullying. Being humble is how a church member follows without demanding to have everything done her way. Being humble looks like Jesus. Our Savior gave his life to rescue us from our sin. He sacrificed his comforts. He gave up the honor that he deserved so that he could do us good. And you and I, if we're going to follow that Lord Jesus, we've got to put on that very same humility. So what is today's message? Elders serve in a godly way for future reward. Members, be subject to your leaders. All of us. Put on biblical humility so that we can pull it off. And friends, remember what do we see in verse 1 in all of this. Living as the church is the way to survive present hardships as we look forward to the glorious return of the Lord Jesus. So, Christian, ask the Lord, God, how do you want me to respond to you with this text today? 
Pray for your elders. Pray how God might have you serve in the church in whatever capacity. Pray that God grant us all humility that looks like Jesus. Pray that God will set your heart on forever and not just on the petty things that this life has to offer. Pray that God raise up elders in the church. Pray that God grow the church to the glory of Jesus. And remember that Jesus Christ, he is, what did the Bible call him? The chief shepherd. He's the number one pastor. He is the top elder. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the one we should surrender our lives to. And if you don't know what that means, let me remind you really quick. Jesus Christ came and died to pay the price for the sins of God's children. And he rose from the grave and he lives as an eternally exalted king of kings, lord of lords. And he's going to come back to this earth and he's going to rule forever. And if you want to be forgiven by God and if you want to have joy forever rather than the judgment of God that we all deserve, you've got to turn from sin and turn your life toward and over to Jesus. Surrender to his lordship entrust your soul to Jesus, that's the only way for any one of us to ever be made right with God. Let's bow together and let's pray. Lord, you know there is so much here that still could be said. And Lord, you know there are still a thousand and one ways I feel utterly inadequate. So I would pray, Lord, just as we so often would say, take Anything, anything in this message that came from you, your word, your spirit. And God, let it just burrow into our souls. And take anything that's not of you, anything that's my own weakness or silliness or whatever else is wrong with me, and get rid of that so that we might hear you, and have heard you faithfully. God, make us the church that you want us to be for our good and for your great glory. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.